Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Raising Rebels family. This past December, Raising Rebels attended the People of Color Conference. This conference took place in Seattle, Washington, and it is basically a huge affinity group for people of color in independent schools all across um, the United States. And I think people travel from all over the world really to attend this conference where you get to really talk specifically about what it feels like to be a person of color in a predominantly white space. Um, it's a powerful, powerful, powerful um, experience to be surrounded by all of these amazing educators that are thinking so much around how to free children. And um, I got the opportunity to have some of the most meaningful conversations with parents who are attending this conference, I want to suggest that you find a quiet space and you close your eyes and you put on some headphones as you listen to this episode, because it's really um, a time capsule. The stories that are told are so vivid. And also it takes place in this really crowded, crowded auditorium. Um, And I would imagine, and I hope for most of us, we are not in very crowded auditoriums and probably won't be for a long time. And so I wanna, you know, suggest that you take some time with yourself um, and enjoy this episode. Um, I love you all, stay safe, um, be well, and please remember to find joy. Means I gotta get stepping, you know? I'm Dawn, and I'm from Houston. Yay! Olivia Moorhead Slaughter from Milton, Massachusetts. Tanita Fernandez from Pasadena, California. My name is Jimmy Manuru. I grew up in Kenya, and I live you know, in the Boston area. Um, tell us something about your kids. So I have one child, Bailey, who's two and a half year old. And uh, makes me well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, we're in that fun stage right now mm-hmm. of seeing this little person who can actually give you back responses and mm-hmm. kind of tell you directives. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My name is Lloyd Mitchell Duggar III. I am from Brentwood, New York, but I live currently in Southboro, Massachusetts. Tell me why you say the third. Because that's on my birth certificate. Uh, it's a it's a badge of honor because there aren't, aren't many thirds, um, and the process by which I am the third is a bit unusual. Um, it's my grandfather, it's his son, my uncle, and then me. So it's not in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the only Lloyd in the family actually called Lloyd. The other two Lloyds don't go by Lloyd. So it's kind of like, all right, if you're going to give me the third, I'm going to say the whole name. <laughs> I love how we black folks. Yeah just remix our shit. So my name is Carla and I'm from the Bay Area. My name is Robin. I'm from Richmond, California. Uh, my name is Oscar. Um, I'm from New York. Me too. We're in New York. Lower East Side. I grew up in the Bronx. All right. Yeah, we live you. in Brooklyn now. Huh? I said I forgive you. <laughs> so. Why are people in New York like this? Nah, I'm just this kidding. Is what, no, it's so true. Every time so. we into the, the, like your borough, your neighborhood, it's all right because we already know. We already nah, I know and you down. know. I respect that. I know. I know. So. We already know. Varghese Alexander from Asheville, North Carolina. I'm Adrian, and I'm from Northern California. Hi, Adrian. Hi. <laughs> um, tell us something about your children. Uh, so my daughter, my eldest, who turned 21 yesterday. Ooh, oh, wow. In New York City. Yes. 21 in New York City. Yes. I was there. Yeah. So, um... She's amazing. She's, you know, she's ready to take on the world um, and get involved in everything. And she does a lot of spoken word. So 
Uh, I love that she communicates her thoughts, feelings on society and mm -hmm. how she's personally feeling through her poetry. It's mm -hmm. her therapy. So it's uncensored mm -hmm. by mommy. And mm -hmm. that's a way for her to release. My name is Ashley Scott. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Russell Marsh uh, from Newark, New Jersey. Okay, my name is Sherry Spalitz, and uh, I'm at home in Vienna, Austria. Well, let's start with one word to describe how you're feeling right now. Uh, sometimes a little overwhelmed. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and but inspired. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling um, excited, elated. Yay! Mm -hmm. I'm loving it. Relaxed right now. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Mm -hmm. That's lame, but it's good. One word. There's yeah. nothing, That's there's nothing okay. lame about good. Tell us something about your children. Oh, they're awesome. Oh, come on. An eight and a 10 year old. Real good phase. I work at a boarding school and they run the campus, right? But they don't really run the campus, but they're comfortable on campus. Awesome. And, and they don't care about the screens because they're walking around mm -hmm. in the woods and not in the woods mm -hmm. and riding bikes. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh, one word. Oh. Energetic? Yeah, I got a lot of energy right now. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, tell us about your children. My children, okay, so I got two. Fun fact, so I'm about to have a grandchild too, which I don't know how I feel about that right now, mm -hmm. you know, cause I ain't about 42. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but my oldest son is 24. Um, he's in the military, he just got married. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, his name is Ashley Dante Scott Jr. So he's a junior. Um, and my youngest is 17, and uh, he's an 11th grader, so he's getting ready to graduate next. He actually takes the SAT, uh, ACT next year, okay. I mean next week. Oh, wow. So I'm excited for him and a little nervous, too, because, mm -hmm. you know, I want him to show out, so, you know. Um, tell us one word to describe how you're feeling right now. Surprised. <laughs> That's great. That's such a good, well, I like the feeling of surprise. Do you like it? I think so. Okay, yes. good, good, yes. good. Um, tell us something about your children or child. Um, I have two children. I have one who is 25, and I have another one who is 12. Mm. So the 25-year-old lives in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. um, and the 12-year-old is at home with me in Vienna. That's great. Um, part of what we do in the podcast is we ask parents to do a recollection, um, and a recollection is like a memory, as, and we ask you to push back as far as you can, because part of what happens when we're parenting is we think about it much of ourselves as adults, but we don't think enough about like who we were when we were children, and if we really hope to do it differently or to like push back against the oppressions that we like endured, you know, like our yeah. experience, we really need to unpack who we were. So I'm going to ask you to push back as far into your memory as you can. If you can, like, if you remember being three, great. If you can't, that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but as far back as you can and share a memory of a time you felt free. I felt and as free? You felt free. And as much detail, context as mm. possible, the better. I remember, I think I was probably five or six um, my dad and my dad was abusive to my mom, but, and I'm the oldest. So I have more memories of my mom and dad together than my siblings do. And, and they don't have any good memories of them at all of the memories they do have together. And the memory that I remember is my dad sitting in our living room and, um, I'm from South Georgia, so it's always hot. Right. And he had on these shorts and I was just looking at my dad and he had these hairy legs. Right. And I'm like, Dad, why, like, how your legs go hairy? And it was like, and to me, that was like, my dad's a man. Like, that's like, like, he got all of his hair. Like, I always wanted hair on my legs because that symbolizes, like, manhood to me at that point. And I was like, I want to touch your hair. Like, I want to touch the hair because I want to know what it felt like. And my dad was like, all right, give me 25, give me a quarter. You can touch my legs. And I was like, but Dad, I like, nope, give me a quarter. So I ran through the house. Looking for a quarter, I'm turning over the cushions and the chair. I'm in my room, I'm under the bed looking for a quarter. And I came back with like a dime and a nickel. And he was like, I said a quarter. And I was like, well, I can't find no quarter. And so I just kept looking, kept looking. And in the bathroom of all places, right, in the corner, it was a quarter. And I ran back and I gave him my quarter and I, I just remember rubbing my dad's legs. And that's like probably the only memory that I really do have the only good memory that I can remember of me and my dad yeah after that we played a game of chess 
because my dad taught me how to play chess. And so that's, pro that's the only memory I have. Yeah. So interesting. Like your freedom is so tied into like this feeling of like access to your dad's yeah. self. You know what I mean? His physical body. I haven't talked about that in a long time. Yeah. It happens here on Raising Rebels. Don't <laughs> feel away about it. That's what we do. I um, was living in Queens, in Jamaica Avenue, my brother and I, my older brother. And oftentimes we were either playing in our underwear or naked. Uh, and we had a pullout bed. And I had a pullout bed because my parents at the time were, you know, young black black parents with two soon to be three boys and so we lived in a very small apartment and my pull-out bed was underneath his and i remember he had to pull it out and i remember it ran ran over my toe like ran over my toe and i have so many memories of my pinky toe crashing into the metal part of this small ass apartment and finding my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles under the bed and like just that tiny small apartment in Queens. And I, I mean, we moved out when I was about seven. So I lived there since I was born until I was seven. But that's what I remember. It's just that pull out bed going over my foot. Oh, it sounds like freedom to me too. It's like, know, to be young. Feel, yeah, because it's like it's your own world. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. feeling like you have agency over that space. That's mm. freedom. I think back to a time when I was five years old and I was in a kindergarten class and a little boy threw a shoe and it was a white teacher and the teacher thought I threw the shoe and she came and just snatched me up and dragged me into a cloak room and I don't know if you remember back in the days they had those hooks and she slammed my back against that hook and that experience and you know so the principal came around and just started pointing his finger and yelling at me why did I throw that shoe and I was trying to explain I didn't throw the shoe and so it was very disheartening of course and very painful and um, but there was a black teacher that came through and said, this is one kid that would not have thrown that shoe. And I believe her. And then the truth came out of the kid that did throw the shoe, which was a little white boy. And nothing happened, but I felt free. I felt like this teacher rescued me. And from that point forward, she kind of took me under her wings. And they removed me from that teacher's classroom and actually put me into her classroom. So it was the first time I had a black teacher or some educator that really made a difference. And she just believed in me. And I think I felt free from that point forward. Wow. That's, that's hard. That's, that's, that's a really hard one. Um, so that whole free concept is kind of hard to unpack right now. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up on the Lower East Side back in the day. And so someone like me, when we say back in the day, this is before gentrification. Um, I grew up in the projects. So I don't know how much freedom you can really have when you grow up. And, and the projects on the Lower East Side. Um, Hi. I'm thinking back to like um, when I was really, really young. It's really hard. Um, I'd walk to school by myself. Um, around whatever kindergarten was, uh, first grade. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know about freedom. It didn't feel free, but I had space to be. Um, Mm-hmm. So back in the day for someone my age, there was no like internet or like home wasn't really the place where you went to have fun. You mm -hmm. went outside. Mm -hmm. um, so those memories are, are, are strong. Mm -hmm. um, I never knew that I came from an economically depressed neighborhood until I left it. Mm -hmm. um, so, I know that. I know that so right? well. If you would have um, asked me, I'd be like, I'm middle class. I'm middle class. I'm like, no, you not. I had no clue what that no meant. No idea. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. like, that doesn't that didn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so when I was a kid, everything felt normal um, within within that space. When you were a child, you said like when you think about it now, you think like how can you have freedom in the like these oppressive like impoverished spaces? But when so, you were that first grader, did so, you, and you're walking yeah, yeah. home by your you know you're moving through the world by yourself, did you feel free? I have freedom to be. Yeah. Right. Um, so 
I guess to think about freedom, I might want to think about when I didn't have it, right? Um, so I had the opportunity to study at an independent school when I was in, in high school. Um, I got sent away. And I didn't know what, what I was really getting into. Um, I got sent to a, a school um, outside of Princeton, in New Jersey. Had no clue how far away that was from New York City. You have no perspective of what anything is outside of your borough. Um, and uh, at that point is when I realized um, how this other group of people live. Um, and I didn't feel at that point like I had the freedom to be me. Because mm. um, I, ha I didn't have the freedom to wear my clothes, um, show my culture through my, through, through my being. Um, and so I guess my first feelings of, of like feeling freedom as, as we're talking about it here must have been like one of those first times when I was at this independent school and I came back home. Right, because when I, I, I came back home, then I could wear what I wear, speak how I speak, and be me. Um, so it really wasn't, uh, you prompted me to think way, way back, but it was probably more around the age of 15, 16 that I understood what it meant. Um, but even then in the neighborhood, you were, you were kind of locked into certain uh, paths home or into certain social groups based on uh, the types of behaviors you wanted to avoid mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, or, or be a part of. I think I felt free my whole childhood. Mm -hmm. I think my whole childhood was one of freedom. Mm -hmm. um, freedom in, the, in, in the, the physical sense of I could go anywhere. As a child, I could be sent to the store, to the corner shop to buy something. I come back home. There was no sense of unsafety or danger or anything like that. So I was free physically to run about, to roam about, to be with my my siblings in the yard or on this you know this go mm -hmm. out to the town or mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. i think i've always felt free that way mm -hmm. i think i felt free to do whatever i wanted to do at home mm -hmm. i love to read and even when my other siblings were doing chores and i was hiding away and reading i felt like i was free to do that mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. felt free yes as early a memory as you can and with as much detail as you can Huh, that's a good question. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, my earliest recollection, so I grew up in Kenya, and um, we, for the most part, I was in the capital city, but before that, my dad worked at a small mining town called Magadi, and it was the kind of place where, you talk about freeing, basically, you could just... You know, at the end of the day or weekends, just you could just leave the house and just go off. Like I mean, literally, just walk. It was pretty much like a desert, but it would just my, my siblings and I would just be gone for the day mm. and come back at the end of the day. Just as long as you're there back before sunset, <laughs> that was sort of my sense of mm -hmm. things. I didn't think about that because that's what something I feel that you can actually do today. Like, yeah. I don't think if my child just went for the whole day, I would be like, and I don't know why, but that's sort of... Oh, there are many moments, actually. Um, I can think back probably around you know, four, four, yeah, four or five years old and being up in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Mm -hmm. um, my dad worked on the, tr on the railroad, so he would always take us up to the Sierras to be near the railroad tracks, and we would park the old station wagon, all the kids pile out and just go play in the dirt and the pine needles. And I remember very clearly the, the scent of the pine needles. It's almost a kind of a Christmassy but soapy smell and what that felt like under my feet. And just running, sliding in the red dirt. And my, my younger brother and I just kind of digging in the dirt, making little holes here and there. And it was just, it was amazing. It was amazing. I just remember the sound of the birds because you don't hear birds as much as you used to. And what the, the sun looked like coming through the pine needles when we looked up. It was an amazing, amazing time. And my mom sitting by the car fixing sandwiches. My dad with my brothers out by the railroad tracks explaining something about how the engines did whatever they do mm -hmm. as, they, as they moved through the, through the mountains. Mm. Yeah. I was definitely a little girl, um, somewhere between five and ten growing up in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, in a black middle-class neighborhood, black everybody, but it was a beautiful black bubble. Mm. 
I could be outside all day long, in my neighborhood, on my bike, my friends' houses, just playing, playing in the dirt, playing in the mud, just riding around, just doing the playing with our Barbie dolls, especially Julia, because she was black, <laughs> playing with our black baby dolls, just playing with each other, mm-hmm. eating fruit off of trees, popsicles. I was freed up, mm-hmm. had no idea how freed up I was. And wishing I was grown. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of um, being a, a kid maybe around five or six and visiting my godparents who lived, who lived in the country. I, mean, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And my godparents lived in Chesterland, Ohio. And okay. it was, you know, like we had to get on the freeway. And then we'd get off the freeway, go drive. It was a long drive to get out to their place. And then we would get on this kind of dirt road. And then we'd drive off to their, their long driveway. So I just remember being out there. And um, they had a huge yard. I mean, it wasn't, they had property, right? So they had the house and then they had property that went on and on. And, and I just remember they had a small hill in the back in the backyard. And I remember being a little kid and going up and down that hill. So going to the top, running to the top and then rolling down again and again and again, giggling and just laughing and, 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 um, and of course having lots of doting adults um, who were having a good time. And my, my godfather was, um, my uncle Bill was cooking out on the grill and and just enjoying all of that, that attention and, and that, that freedom. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How does oppression show up in your parenting? How does oppression show up in my parenting? I think it shows up in a, a kind of the anger that I feel when I have asked my child repeatedly to do something and the response is yeah yeah in a sec give me a minute yeah i'm doing i'm almost yeah here i come and then finally i blow my top (laughs) and and i say and and the oppression yeah is that it's that innate desire to need to control Mm -hmm. and actually it's actually to have my authority yes acknowledged yes on point like I want it like not now not in five minutes not I want you know I want it okay hey I said this you're t- it's time for you to respond mm-hmm. so that that I would I would say that pattern of oppression mm-hmm. where we where the expectation is I am the authority mm-hmm. and you will now act mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I've said so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's a pattern of, of authority that is inherently oppressive how like amazing it is for your children to have a parent that recognizes that their need for authority is problematic do you know what i mean like of course like not of course but yes we are still pushing back and trying how to like not continue to practice it but just the realization that there is another better way there is another way and that that's not about how I have to relate to you as someone who's younger than me who's someone who I birthed or not or like in care of like we don't have to relate to each other from this perspective of I am the authority we can relate to each other in so many other different ways and hopefully often do and I'm going to try and shift that. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, sometimes we don't, which is part of white supremacy. And and, like we only give ourselves credit for when we like get it, but not the journey to like getting to it. That might take a lifetime. Um, And so congratulations on your journey. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm not sure. It's interesting. because I, you know, I can give you that. It's a cognitive exercise, Mm -hmm. right? To tell you, Oh, this is what I see. And this is where it seems rooted but I still want him to respond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's thinking about that. But, but on the other side of that, what I do think is interesting is being able to have a conversation with him about 
Oh, listen. Hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I was really upset about that. But do you understand why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that kind of being able to have that conversation mm-hmm. has helped me mm-hmm. be less rigid. Absolutely. And less, less, just less, less uptight. When I'm relate, like when I'm in it with my partner, uh, you know, something. He, is almost constantly, not constantly, but often doing things that irritate me or like that I would like to be done different. But with him, I'm always like, when I'm in my good, when I'm in my good space, when I'm feeling like in my like positive, I meditated, I ate well, I got time. I can recognize that it's about how I'm showing up to this conflict versus like what you've done to me. And I think that if we could have that same grace with our children and with ourselves around, like, it's not about necessarily what they're doing, but how I'm showing up to this conflict in this moment, and then I'm reacting. So I have the right to feel how I feel about your actions, for sure, but how I show up to that is all about me and all about, like, my shit. And I think that that's part of the healing. Like, that's what I'm saying when I'm saying the journey. Like, it's not, no, of course, you want, like, you know, things have to be done and you, you know, like, I like the house clean. Like, I just do. It works for me. But it doesn't mean that it has to be, like, like they're bad I'm good you know what I mean yes. I'm, I'm right they're wrong it can be so many other things thank you for sharing thank you thank you for having me so yeah I'm crazy overprotective mm. right um, I don't live in the neighborhood I grew up in mm-hmm. um, part choice part reality um, the Lower East Side's super gentrified crazy mm-hmm, expensive mm-hmm. no one can live there anymore um, well my my family my peoples can't live there anymore um so we moved out to like the with the suburbs we went chasing the 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 fake american dream mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh so as far as being oppressive yeah I'm, I'm overprotective with my son um or at least i was he's 26 now um my daughter's 19 still overprotective um i have another daughter who's seven um and i just always try to protect them from the things i was trying to avoid mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sort of like that project life mm-hmm. the, the sort of the, the vices that are there the the traps mm-hmm. um i um yeah I, that i guess uh once let uh, me like about a year ago in my independent school i heard someone mention free range parenting mm-hmm. and i was like what the I was like, what? I, 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 I didn't understand that. I mean, I understand it now, but I was just like, there's no way I could do free range parenting mm-hmm. only because without a, I see myself as, as the guide for my kids. I, I see them as sort of like, this is what I went through. This is how I grew up. I don't want you to have to go through that yourself. Um, so please follow my plan mm-hmm. as prescribed <laughs> because I know best. <laughs> Um, and my kids don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that feels oppressive to them. I mean, on them. some level, you probably don't get it because it sounds like the way you were raised was free-range parenting. Like right now, like the idea of letting your six and seven-year-old, you know, take the elevator downstairs, walk to the corners, like all of that stuff that you mm, did, play outside with your friend, like that's free-range. Yeah, yeah. That's free-range. And the way, and like, I think it's like we're doing we're like we're doing the best we know. Do you know what I mean? And like the more we can unpack it, the wider what we know and it can give act. Like I'm, I imagine like for your seven year old and your 26 year old. Right. That's what you said. The range yeah. and like what you have the capacity for has probably grown so much. Yeah. Look, uh, I, I love my mother. Yeah. But she should not have free range parent me like that was <laughs> you can't. You, we just got it because all right i'm i'm fortunate enough to have my career right now to mm-hmm. be here at the pocc mm-hmm. um like in some ways like my brother and i we talk about this you know where we are like this first generation economic success mm-hmm. um but we both grew up with a lot of folks who just didn't make it out i know you know um know. locked up dead yes, whatever yes, um yes. so they were free range parented as well right yes, so it's sort yes. of like yeah i don't i don't want to take that chance yes um now, the, the question was, do I find myself being oppressive? Yeah. Um, am yeah. I working on being less? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so yeah. trying to find this, 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 this happy balance um, and this medium. 
I'm in between. Um, I think speaking to it, you know yeah. what I mean? Like speaking to the idea that it's not necessarily about who you want to be as a parent, but like this larger white supremacy that creates these environments that are not safe, that don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and just knowing like we're scared. Do you know what I mean? And like how often you get to tell your kids, like, not just like, I want you to do A, B or C because I know the way, but I want you to do A, B and C because I'm so scared because I've seen, you know what I mean? And how it could still be hard. You know what I mean? It could still like, I still want to go out. I still want to do this. But this understanding that it's coming from a place of like real intimate, like feeling versus what white supremacy does is like, that's just the way it is. That's yeah. not just the way it is. That's the way we're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. I know that I prepare my sons. I have two sons, mm-hmm. 25 and 29. And I probably have prepped them for all kinds of things that were that could happen, Mm. that might happen, Mm -hmm. because I'm protecting them Mm -hmm. from what I know Mm -hmm. is there to greet them Mm -hmm. and from the things I don't want to happen to them. Mm -hmm. Here's one way it's showing up still in Mm -hmm. my parenting. I don't wear gold, Mm -hmm. I wear silver. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons. You don't Not- see, you can't see at home, but she has the <laughs> most beautiful high top. It is, I, it's amazing. It's amazing. So I wear silver. So, but in my jewelry box, I actually have some gold chains. My hair wasn't always this color. So I have some gold <laughs> chains. I got some bracelets, mm-hmm. whatever. And definitely one of my sons would like to have one of the chains that he could wear around his neck. And I won't give it to him. Mm. I don't want him to wear it because I think it'll make him a target. Mm. It will make him vulnerable, unsafe. So they're sitting there. I guess I should have him melted down. I don't know at what age he would be. It would be okay Mm -hmm. for me to say, here, honey, wear these. It's Mm -hmm. not a problem because definitely they could be worn by a man or a woman. But they're sitting there. I want to say that sometimes it's like the not doing it becomes what we focus on, but the liberation can come from just talking about the why. So to bring attention to like, I want this for you. Yes. It's not about who you are. It's not about the jewelry. It's just about this big, horrible thing that is sitting over both of us and it keeps us from this. And how liberating, how much freedom you both would have to talk about the oppression that you share and that can be like that can grow the freedom right and I recently you know had this conversation with my husband because just a week or two ago and my friend here might recall this there was an incident in the Boston area really early morning 12 30 1 30 in the morning a young black man or a young man was attacked and what they wanted was the chain mm-hmm. from his neck. Mm-hmm. And he's now he's dead. Mm. And I said to my husband, and this is why I, I, they stay in the jewelry box because. Say it's it, your son. Say it's your son. Yeah, yeah just say it. Just and say I haven't it. said it to him. Yeah, say it's your son. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking yeah. with us. Thank you. We're Thank ready. you for doing the podcast. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> How does oppression show up in your parenting? It shows up in my thoughts. It shows up when I start parenting from a fearful place. But I have to stop myself from doing that. I have to look at my boy of where he is now and not think about, be scared for what he could be. So I want him to have that, that rebellious spirit, but I don't want that to harm him. So I have to like make sure that I stay in the moment and recognize him as a seven-year-old and not the 12-year-old that, that I think he's going to be and that the world can see. So that's how it shows. It shows up in, from a place of fear. And I think parents, sometimes in order to protect them, they cover them in that fear, mm-hmm. especially as a black boy. Mm-hmm. And he's already four foot three. Mm. So he's at least going to be my height. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his build is going to be, but he's going to le- at least be my height. So I'm mm-hmm. 5'10". Mm-hmm. So he's going to be at least 5'10", maybe six feet. Mm-hmm. That's scary. So if mm-hmm. I'm operating from a place of fear, I, 
my fear wants to get that out of him. Mm-hmm. But my love wants to keep that. And you can't do both. Well, I can't do both. We have to like... I think we just have to, first of all, be compassionate with ourselves as parents. And we have to like keep evolving, right? Like keep doing what we like know we can do and pushing. They just keep pushing ourselves. Um, As you were talking, I was thinking like Disney is so fucking problematic. And the way the reason I say that is as you were talking, it kept making me think about that line in Finding Nemo. When Dory is like, well, you can't, he can't, like, Marlon is all upset and worried because Nemo, he's like, I want to be safe. I don't want, and, and Dory's like, well, you can't, if he doesn't do anything, he won't do anything. But Disney should have made those voices be black people's voices. I think that if there were black voices instead of, like, Ellen or whoever the fuck else voiced, we would, like, it would be more, more authentic and more accurate. And I'm not saying that white folks don't also feel oppression or have fears for their children, but... That understanding and like, like how many black us, right? Right? Because when we would have like, Nemo came out. I was like a teen, like I'm, you know, your age. Like I mm-hmm. was a teenager, but still, like if you got to watch Nemo, right? You get to have that healing process as a black father who's scared for his son, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who is just being a kid, goes out in the world, gets right. caught up, right? Father goes and gets him. Right. Nemo gets to know and heal around like I, I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna learn from it. Right. But my people gonna come get me, so I'm good. But at what cost, though? Well, so, so Nemo wouldn't pay the same cost. Well, this is the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing. We're all here. Right. You're right here, right now. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm right here, right now. So I'm not saying that bad shit don't happen. Of course it does. Like the they are coming for us. Like nobody. Most, I don't have yeah. no doubt about it. Right. But if we don't also elevate and, and like, give voice to our stories of, like, being whole, you know, like, to the, if we give, you know, like, the the ones that does, like, the parts that don't work out get a lot of, we give it a lot of voice. And the parts of, like, and I'm not talking about success from, like, a white supremacist, you financial success, you got this, but success of, like, you are loving your boy. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. wow, you're loving your boy every day. And I think that as much as those, like just as you said, like as much as that fear is real, I think just being able to have that conversation and thoughts around like that, it is fear. It's not just the way it has to be. It is based on. But how, but do we have those conversations to recognize that it's coming from fear? No, or do that's we, what I mean. Do we redo it? And redo those old jokes, Absolutely. like I'm gonna beat you so the cops don't beat yes, you. Like I was yes, told that. Yes. But my wife and I made a decision. It's like we're gonna take the best of our parents. Yeah. So that worked in the eighties, right? Because yeah. I grew up in the eighties, crack, and yes. like it was I grew up in Newark. So like I'm the poster child for that. Mm-hmm. But those old tools don't work. Yeah. So are people having that conversation and highlighting the, the good stuff, like taking the best of those will work? And leaving the stuff behind, you know. What and I, mean? I think if you if you look at it from the perspective of collective liberation, we have to ask ourselves the question of did it work? Because if we're thinking about like one, some, many, but we're not thinking about all, we mm. know as much as we try, as much as our parents tried, it didn't work, right? Like it, right. it did a thing. It allowed for some. It allowed for us sitting here right now. But work. You know, like, and I think just having those conversations, just continuing to unpack it is like what we're hoping to do. Thank you. But just, but just keep passing it on, though. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Russell, you did the thing. Thank you. I'm sure it shows up all over the place because the number one thing I think about is what my ancestors struggled through. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. guilt trip my kids. Mm-hmm. I'll admit it, my boys and my daughters. And I'm like, you know what your grandparents went through? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you like owe it to them. You really do. Um, because part of it, I know I can't even imagine what both sides um, of my family went through. Uh, I heard stories, but it was pretty bad. So... When opportunity comes, or when you have the chance to seize it, you go for it. Mm-hmm. You practice what you're passionate about in life. Uh, but if you are gonna, if I'm gonna let you practice your passion, mm-hmm. you have to go at it full force. Mm-hmm. 
you can't just try it and decide in a week it's gotten hard and you're going to quit it. Mm-hmm. I always have a contract with my kids. If you want to become a, uh, what was it? My eldest wanted to be a harpist. She wanted to play harp. I made her bug me for six months. And then when we were ready to get her a harp, I made her sign a contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, seriously. No, I believe you. You'll, I be, believe- <laughs> you'll be playing this for this long. I believe this you. This is your practicing. Mm-hmm. And you cannot budge. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. though, I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. for us as parents to, mm-hmm. you know, take kids to lessons, play for lessons, uh, you know, pay for them, and then monitor and make sure they're practicing for that allocated mm-hmm. amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a... It's a give and take. I wonder how it would feel for them around. Because it's interesting. I similar, right? Like I have three girls and they have interests and things mm-hmm. that they want to do. And their level of like commitment to it is that of a nine year old, is that of an 11 year old, is that of a wherever they are in that time and space. And that idea that you get to like try something and then decide to quit it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but lots of, the problem is I see examples of people quitting it too often. Mm -hmm. And it's a privilege, Mm -hmm. I believe, to get the opportunity to do something like that. And I I also believe they should be exposed to a lot before they make that decision. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, I just saw this and I want it. I want you to be exposed to a variety of things, whether it's sports or um, musical instruments or technology devices. I want you to think out of the box Mm -hmm. and have time to think out of the box. So you're not because I'm not a big believer on overscheduling Mm -hmm, kids mm -hmm. because you can't find their passion Mm -hmm, if they're mm -hmm, overscheduled. But once you make that decision, it needs to be for a substantial amount of time. Yes. And the idea that is a privilege, right? Like to be able to take advantage of all of these opportunities that Uh you speak so well to, Uh that you are so aware of was denied your ancestors. And so probably denied us, you know, like every time we push it forward more and we're Uh trying to like give more access to our people. And I often just think about like what a privilege it also is to be able to quit. And like from our perspective as oppressed parents, quitting is like you can't get to where you need to go if you're going to give up something so quickly Mm -hmm. and not give it its all. But then you see so many other people like that older our side of like if it's not working for you, how do you move past it? And that is the conundrum that we we, like. It's just such a trap. (laughs) Like it's like we're in a constant trap around you do it this way. It's oppressive. But wait a minute. If you do it this way, it's oppressive too, or it has elements of it in like just giving ourselves the grace around we're doing the best we know how. Do you know what I mean? And when we know more, we do more mm-hmm. and that we love them and that mm-hmm. we share with them and that we're honest with them of like what, like what, like something with my parents is like you didn't hear why. You know, like what the, oh, what, yeah, you yeah. know, like what. What 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 were you thinking? You didn't even want to say why yeah, because yeah, yeah. If you said why that it was over. Yeah, you didn't like it was just <laughs> this is what it is. Yeah. And how powerful I think even even sometimes more than the actual experience of what your your parent is like telling you to do or mm-hmm. like whatever those um structures whatever that is that you think is important for young people to have an understanding of like, but this is how I got to that. You know what I mean? This is Mm -hmm. what's underneath how I'm talking to you about it. I think it's so powerful and something that we can do to help to continue like dismantle this oppression. Mm -hmm. Thank you for talking with us. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, you wonder about what you hold back, right? Like when you're holding back from the kids and then you got to question yourself when you're holding back. Immigrant family, mm-hmm. right? We immigrated when I was two. So traditional immigrant family, they want to do better by us. And we've got all of those things wrapped around it, meaning like discipline and all of that. And so I guess this goes both ways. So discipline, I'm like, all right, I get it. Capital punishment, not good. Not good. Too many power dynamics in capital. So, but then I go, I want to make my kid feel uncomfortable when they're doing something wrong. So I go to the water gun, right? I, I literally have a water gun. <laughs> Yeah, 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 we'll get real, right? I have a water gun, and then um, and I shoot them with the water gun. And then these other parents are like, what, what do you do? You treat them like cats? I'm like, I'm not treating them like, like, wait a second. What would, you, what would you say my parents treated me like if they were beating me, right? Like, I go right there. 
and I'm not saying that whatever you do your own, but I want I wanted to make the feel uncomfortable. Take a step back when they were little, and this is gonna seem ne negligent. I used to put them on top of the fridge. Again, six seven. You got to utilize the height. Timeout has to be somewhere where they're not comfortable, and they need to calm down. And and as scary as it is, and I was around, right? Like it was like I left them on the fridge and left for half an hour, but they knew that they had to calm down on top of there. Right, if they didn't calm down, they're not coming off the fridge. And as soon as they calm down, they were coming off. So it was a, it was a sort of. It's so interesting when you said we have um, one of the episodes that we did on Raising Rebels is about um, what is it called? I brought you into this world, so it's about <laughs> discipline. And the whole conversation that we have, like I talk about, yeah, like I, my parents use capital, like we got yeah. beaten. I'm immigrant to first generation Jamaican, and there's this idea of like, so when I had kids, I was like, same thing, like. Capital the punishments? No, no, we don't do that. Corporal, capital. Oh, I'm oh, sorry, sorry. Corporal, you're right. My bad. Good catch. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fact no, check, no, fact no, fact check, fact check. Thank you, thank you. Corporal, corporal. You're right. Um, punishment. Um, and we didn't even use that word. Just got your ass beat. So yes, we, you know, exactly. like whatever that's the case. Why we don't even know the word. We don't even know the word because we didn't use that. It was the same shit. Anyway, so I was like, I don't do that. I was never no, gonna no, no. do that. But that fear. I, I utilize that shit all the time. And like, I don't realize like how, where, where is it the same? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's really easy to look at where it's different, but what's really hard is to look at the places where it's the same and why. Um, thank you so much for sharing with no, us. Absolutely. I will say they get to shoot me if I yell, right? The idea is I make them uncomfortable, yes. but it's so that I can't yell at them. I yes. don't want to yell at them. Yes, yes. That emotional piece. So then yes. they get to throw. Yeah, we're all doing. I mean, that's we, we got to find our own way and to not, do it. And, we, and just keep investigating. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. about like we figured out. Obviously, none of us has no. figured this shit out. But just being willing to like check our like just think about it. Let's be open that there might be another way. I never gave birth to children, but I have five children. Mm -hmm. I adopted. I um, one was my great niece another was my four great great nephews and um of course came from dysfunctional environments and that's why i took them in um and just trying to watch them navigate their ways through life and through a society that, especially not in favor of African-American boys, mm -hmm. it's kind of been a struggle. And I feel like the system fights against our children, especially our black boys. And so constantly trying to just reaffirm them and make them feel valued and give them opportunities that they could never have um, otherwise. We give them an education because there's two pipelines, I feel, one to prison, one to the education system. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a struggle mm -hmm. and it's a constant struggle and it's a constant fight, fighting for needs that they may have, for IEPs, mm -hmm. for services, mm -hmm. for counseling, mm -hmm. for everything mm -hmm. that they need is a constant struggle. It sounds like you're doing for your children what was done for you. You're rescuing them. Absolutely. And by doing that, allowing them freedom. Yes. So you're like, you're standing up. Like you're the one who is like going and talking to all of the larger society about what they need. Absolutely. So that they can be free. Yes. What a what a gift. Yes. What a gift. And to be able to free them and let them know that there are people that care about Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And that people want to see them succeed and to be successful. Yes. Um, in life, and so giving them opportunities and chances. And, yeah. And believing in them. Absolutely. Because you were believed and, in. Because I was believed in. Yes. yes. Thank you so much. How does oppression show up in your parenting? I tell you how it doesn't show up, right? I, I tell you how it showed up before, right? Because um, one thing and I tell a lot of friends of mine who are parents mm -hmm. that I learned after my oldest got too old for me to apply this mm -hmm. is to always listen. Mm. And so I... With my youngest son, no matter what he wants to talk about, no matter how long my day has been, like I'm telling you, the boy can go on and on <laughs> about freaking anime and YouTube. And I'm like, oh, for real? Like, what does this character do again? Like, what's his name? And we're going on. And I'm like, I really don't want to be there. I'm telling you the truth. But 
I, I want him to be able to come to me about anything, right? And then so I think what, how it, how it showed up in my parent and my parenting previously, right, was just not being completely present. Mm. And the idea of parenting was the bills are paid, the food is on the table, mm-hmm. we're going to have a couple of laughs, right? But now I got to get to this thing right here, mm-hmm. right? And then so I wasn't able to fully practice what I was, what I, what I have been preaching to, to other people with my first son. Um, but now he's older. Like now we're able to talk so free. Like he calls me about the silliest things. Mm-hmm. Dad, um, what happens when, um, when you, when you, when you jump your car off and it don't come like, and what if I put the, uh, the red one on the black one and what's going to happen? And it's like, it's going to be all right. Like red on red, black on black, you're going to be fine. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. dad, uh, he texts me, dad, um, what do you do when you lock your keys in your car? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it made me, you know, it makes me feel good because he's calling about trivial stuff. Yeah. But who else is he going to call? That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's so right. I would say like for me in my history, it has just been the, the absence of myself. Yeah. You know, particularly my yeah. oldest. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah. That was powerful. Thank you. That's a good question. My goodness. I hadn't really thought of that. Uh, probably by in my my personal parenting oh my goodness probably in how i would teach my daughters how to present themselves mm-hmm. um or not present themselves mm-hmm. in either mm-hmm. one you know depending on how you want to look at it um making sure that they're seen but not overly seen, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense at all. But it doesn't feel it moment, makes us, it makes sense in an, in oppression. You know, yeah, it makes mm-hmm, sense in us mm-hmm. a, a world that is focused on minimizing, on harming mm-hmm. our children. Right? Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It yeah. totally makes sense. And thank you so much for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Awesome. So, um, tell us your name and where you're from. Um, Regina Buckley. I'm from San Diego, California. Um, what's one word to describe how you're feeling right now? A little scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about your children. I have one daughter. She's 14, uh, going on 15 in May. So she's on in 10th grade. She's a little young for her age. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually a year ahead of where she should be. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes to an independent private school mm-hmm. in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So part of what we do on the podcast is we ask parents to do recollections. And basically a recollection is like a memory. And we ask parents to do a recollection as far back into their memory as they can because often when we think about our parents and we think about like where we are now, but actually it's so important to think about who we were as children because that's really informing so much of how we engage with our children. So I'm going to ask you to push back as far as you can. If you can remember being four, the better, but like however far back you can go and to think of a recollection of a time you felt free. And if you can give us as much context for that recollection, where you were, how old you were, what was happening for you, anything like that is helpful. Well, I guess um, I'd have to go back to, I think of my childhood as a dichotomy. I was born in Georgia Mm -hmm. and we moved when I was three going on four to Connecticut. My parents moved north. So my brother and I, he wasn't born yet. I'm five years older than my brother, but they wanted us to have a better education than where we came from in Georgia. I was born in a very small town uh, about an hour outside of Atlanta. And that's where my mom grew up. Um, her mother grew up there. Her, you know, all my ancestors pretty much come from that mm-hmm. area, and my my father as well. And he um, is the only one in um, in his family who got a college education. My mom did not have a college education, so they wanted my brother and I to have good education. Mm-hmm. So they moved to Connecticut. But I still remember living in Georgia as a young child. Um, when I was in Georgia, I was around my relatives. Both my mom and my dad had multiple brothers and sisters. My mom had 11 brothers and sisters, I think, and my dad had nine. And they just doted on me. And 
that was my world and I didn't know anything else at that time. I didn't know even there were people that didn't look like me that would necessarily treat me badly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember walking to um, probably, this is my earliest memories, my grandfather walking me to, um, it must have just been, you know, corner store in a one horse town, but to get me a pop, what we called a soda, it was orange soda, he called it pop. And he would do that and I would spend time with him and I just felt very secure and safe and um, I guess free that I could do whatever I felt like and it would be okay. Mm -hmm. How does oppression show up in your parenting? Um, so I think I carry a lot of, so like I mentioned, when we moved, my world became very different. We moved from that environment to a town in Connecticut that was predominantly white and all of a sudden I became other. And I didn't realize I was other at first. It's sort of, you know, a lot of little things started happening where, you know, and then you start being around kids who have no problem telling you you're other. Um, and so that hurts when you're a small child. Mm -hmm. and It hurts you when you're a grown up. And it hurts when you're a grown up. Um, but when you're a child, you don't understand why it's happening. You think it's you. You think there's something physically wrong with you. Um, that you know other kids don't want to play with you or make fun of how you look mm -hmm. um so you internalize it and i wouldn't necessarily even tell my parents about all of it because when you're that young you really think it's has something to do with you and then even when i found out it wasn't me because my parents, you know, would begin to tell me things. They told me things from a very young age about, you know, because they grew up during Jim Crow and they didn't want me to go through the same kind of hurt. Mm -hmm. So they would, um, you know, say things like, you really should not make many white friends because you can't really trust them and things like that. And that just puts you on guard. Um, mm -hmm. So I think in terms of my parenting, I still carry some of those hurts mm -hmm. like I will never forget ever uh, this is we'd done a short stint in upstate New York my dad had gotten transferred and we moved to a town outside of Buffalo and we lived in a duplex and this family had moved next door to us a family of three kids um, one of them was a couple years younger than me and I'd seen her this little girl with red hair her name was Michelle and I wanted to meet her, but I never got a chance to meet her. So one day, one of the kids that I played with on the street said, oh, I'll take Michelle's down at the, we had a park down at the end of our street. I'll take you down there and introduce you. So mm -hmm. I rode, I was on my bike. I still remember this. And I rode down there and um, she went and got her from the slide and brought her over. And I thought I was going to meet her, but the little girl came over and said, I'm sorry, Regina, Michelle's parents said she can't play with any black kids. Mm. And I just will never forget that mm -hmm. hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, it was just so normal for mm -hmm. her. And mm -hmm. she was just like, but we'll see you later. Mm -hmm. And she just went off with Michelle and went mm -hmm. to play. Like, mm -hmm. And I'm just left standing there by myself. And I, I literally remember just looking at the ground the whole time going back home by myself, just feeling, I don't even know how to explain it. Mm -hmm. But you know, that stuff that you know you have inside, and you tamp it down so you can't feel it. But then when something happens mm -hmm. in your child's life mm -hmm. that triggers it, mm -hmm. that feeling, mm -hmm. you can overreact to a situation mm -hmm. or it, if it's, you know, the similar situation that happened to you. Like the first time, you know, I felt like Maya was experiencing discrimination. That's mm -hmm. my daughter. I just mm -hmm. said her name. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> There's a zillion of them. First time she experienced it. I was surprised at how visceral my, I couldn't even control mm -hmm. my emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't step out of the situation. I felt it from my mm -hmm. toes all mm -hmm. the way up to my, mm -hmm. and just thinking, how, you know, kind of what is happening to me? Why mm -hmm. I'm, I've been taken all the way back to that moment. That's mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. Like I want to cry. Mm -hmm and I want to kill someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that we don't look at those experiences enough as trauma. And so what happens with people who've experienced trauma, right? They figure out how to cope. 
or they suppress it or they overreact or they find drugs, like all kinds of ways. And the way that you heal trauma is by looking at it, right? And re um, telling the story of what happened to you, recognizing the spaces where you had control and spaces where you didn't have control, recognizing that um, trauma happens to you, like, right? You, there's nothing that you can do to either create or prevent. Um, and so when you gotta do all of that work. And so when you are parenting with your child, like you, ex you say, the hard part about it is like, your child's gonna experience her own traumas. Yes. And there is nothing that you can do to either protect or prevent, because it's not about you. It's about white supremacy. And I think that the illusion and the extra burden that we have to hold as oppressed parents is this fantasy that there's a wrong or right way to help protect our children from white supremacy. Whether it's to like your parents, like, oh, I want you to have a better opportunity, so I'm gonna yes. go up. I'm gonna go up north, right. so you can have this education. Or all of the numerous ways, like I don't want to put my trauma on you, so I'm gonna protect you from my stories right. and constantly wrestle with. No, you gotta. You're gonna do your own thing. It's gonna be better for you. Right. No, you know it's not. And, and that's the hardest thing, though. Yeah. I think is realizing that you live. You know, we live in a society where we don't have a hundred percent ability to protect our kids. And there's shame that comes with that, too. Yes. But the, um, I think that the, the bigger thing, this is the thing, this is the stuff that drives you crazy. Why should we live in a world where we have to protect our exactly. children? You just described so beautifully that you felt the most free in your childhood where your parents weren't worrying about protecting you because right. you were surrounded by your people. Right. And for most of human history, we've all been surrounded by our people. And what is fucked up about America is that they have determined from its birth, from its inception, that some people are our people and other people are not our people. And so now you as a parent in 2019, you know, to have to like your main focus, so many parents main focus is protecting our children. Like that's normal. That's what we should be worried about. That's everything we do should be around. No, we should be being with our children. We should be experiencing them. Yeah. We should be guiding them. We should be loving them. We should be playing with them, laughing with them, like living life. Yay, yay. You can't be worried about protecting somebody and then be allow them freedom. Yeah. So, right? How does that you know, work? How does that work? Sort of doesn't. Yeah. That's the thing. And that's so, and I think like the what gives me hope in it, recognizing it is like, okay, now I get to like do something completely different you know like now I can like finally just strip away the illusions that I can like make it something it's not now we get to just do a thing right now we just get to be together and like love each other and do the best we can do um which I think is the gift of like on like ex like exercise like what is it excavating the trauma like when you try yeah. to like dig it up Right. You know what I mean? Look at it. Dig it up and look at it. And so I wish that for you. Thank, Thank you for you. sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. That was a thing. That was a thing. I've listened to these conversations over and over again, and I just keep learning something new every time I listen back. So I suggest you also listen back. Um, Right now, there's a part of this movement that is being held by young people in which they've started IG pages titled Black At and the name of their school, where students and some educators are just sharing stories about what it feels like and things that have happened to them at predominantly white institutions. I want to suggest that you look them up. The stories are so incredibly moving um, and really speaks a lot to the things that were discussed in this episode by these amazing um, educators. Please stay connected. Uh, we're on IG and Facebook and Twitter and all the places. Um, we'll be back very, very soon with new episodes of Raising Rebels season three. Hoocha. Okay. Be well. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 